Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Acts chapter 20. And we're going to continue our study verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. Um, there's going to be times where we have uh, uh, topical sermons. And, you know, it, 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 it might be on a Sunday, it might be on a Wednesday, or it might be on a Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, as the Lord leads. Uh, but just keep in mind that, you know, we're just going to keep going through the Word. Um through our uh, yeah, Sunday is usually uh, New Testament. Wednesday is uh, usually Old Testament. Uh, and then we just you know, full counsel of the Word of God. It's very healthy, very, uh, you know, sometimes difficult, very difficult topics. And sometimes very, it's all beautiful. Sometimes there's topics that are more uh, uh, gentle, <laughs> less abrasive. And then there's sometimes there's topics that are more abrasive. But I tell you the truth, the Word of God becomes less abrasive with more obedience. That's what happens because, you know, it's the Holy Spirit that does the work inside of us. And when we yield to Him and, you know, we grow in Christ, something happens. It's supernatural. It's completely and totally supernatural. And it's so beautiful because it's the Lord that's doing the work inside of you. The question is, will I let Him? Will you let Him? I pray that we do for the rest of our days. Uh, but that's part of the fight of a Christian. You know, it's part of the war that we wage for our own souls. And then when the Lord does the work inside of you for the souls of other people, that's when ministry happens. It's so beautiful. You know how the word of God throughout the ages, Old Testament and New Testament, the commonality is righteousness. The commonality is Jesus Christ. You say, wait a second, the Old Testament, there was no Jesus Christ. Well, remember that every the, shadow, the, the law is a shadow of the things to come. And also remember that we also pinpoint theophanies in the Old Testament. And in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. You know, that's from John chapter 1. So, you know, we're going to continue our study, and we're in Acts chapter 20. And if you remember last week, we, we studied uh, Ephesus, a lot of different uh, religious factions in Ephesus, one of them being Diana. And everybody had to worship Diana. Everybody, a, a large population, the populace was like pro-Diana. This is their uh, fertility goddess. And, you know, you might live in an area, you might be in a community or, you know, larger city or whatever, where, you know, everybody's turned over to fill in the blank, whatever it is. And, you know, what's so cool is that there's still a church in, you know, all kinds of different scenarios, all kinds of different cities, all kinds of different, you know, there might be a populace of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, people worship the God of whatever, you know, but there's still a church, you know, where, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. And, you know, it's going to be so beautiful in the last days how it's like you're going to see Goshen. You're going to see the light. You're going to see the salt. And as much as I always say it's going to get darker and darker and darker, which is true. It's, it's, it's a biblical fact that's going to happen. Things are going to get darker and darker and darker. Don't forget, you know, when it's daylight and you turn on a flashlight, it looks like, okay, the flash, you can't even tell the flashlight's on when it's daylight because you don't need the light. But then the nighttime comes and say it's a cloudy night. And, you know, you don't have any moonlight, you don't have any starry nights, you can't see. And when darkness comes, it's like palpable darkness. The smallest of light, I mean, you know, can be just like the brightest of light because it the, the darkness is so palpable. It's so thick. And, you know, the light that shines in you, 
can be exactly the same way as things get darker and darker and darker. You know what that means? You can shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And praise be to the Lord. It's so beautiful when you look at it in terms like, you know, the darkness and then the light. It's like, wow, it's how things just came out to be. How he planned it. Remember, he, he's the one who tells us, you know, the signs of the times. You know, I shouldn't say that, you know, it just came out to be. But that's how he planned it. You know, he gave like warning. I, I love how in the Bible, how he doesn't like when, they, when the disciples ask him, you know, what will be the sign of your coming? He doesn't say, you know, on February 3rd, you know, 2040. Uh, he, he just gives the signs, you know, at midnight or at 10 p.m., you know, Eastern Standard Time. You know, he doesn't say anything like that. But he gives us the signs of the seasons, the signs of the times. And so the only ones who are alert are the ones who are in their word and reading the Bible and studying the Bible, looking at Old Testament prophecies, New Testament prophecies, putting it all together like a puzzle and to know the signs of the times. So don't be discouraged as things get darker and darker and darker. Remember the church in Ephesus. Remember Acts 19 as culture gets darker and darker. Remember Acts 19. Ephesus, how it was for them. Think of the, the, the growing church. You know, maybe their neighbors were pro-Diana. Hardcore Diana worshipers. You know, the goddess of fertility. And that's just Diana. Who knows? They might have a goddess of this, goddess of that, and then, you know, a god of this. And think of that if they lived in that neighborhood. What about the little home church? A couple chapters ago, remember there was the home invasion for Jason. You see, it's like, wow, you know, nothing new under the sun is, you know, for the persecuted church. If you live in regions where there's the persecution is getting heavier and heavier and heavier. Remember, this place isn't our home. We pray for you. You know, I, I, I wish I could comfort you in, in, in with my own arms, my own physical arms. But if you're in a region where there's a perse the persecuted church and you yourselves are under persecution, find comfort in the Word of God. And we pray for you. We always pray for the persecuted church. Because you're our family, you're our brothers, you're our sisters. And our family, it's, it's not biological. It's highly spiritual, same blood. Same blood goes through our spiritual veins. The blood of Jesus Christ. And be of good cheer. Things are going to get darker by shine brighter. For our Lord Jesus Christ. Our coming King. In the church in Ephesus. They had hardcore persecution as well. And it's going to get worse. Some, some regions it got worse. And for the disciples. It's going to get worse. And for the apostles. It's going to get worse. For the last day's church. It's going to get worse. But then they're like birth pains. Jesus Christ tells, them this, tells us. It's like birth pains. Birth pains. You know, you, you have like a two-month pregnant lady, and it's like, you know, no pain. I think there's no pain. I've never had gone through it. And then like, you know, five months pregnant, no pain, but you're getting chubbier. You know, your belly's getting bigger. Seven months in, no pain, maybe some discomfort. And then like eight and a half months in, it's like, boom, you know, all of a sudden it's, you know, that whole process. That's what the Lord calls it, birth pains. And you go through these birth pains, and then when you have your baby, it's like, man, all the pain is gone. Well, I mean, you know, I don't, I, there might be some discomfort, but 
you have your baby. You know, it's like, wow, it's worth it. The pain, it was worth it because now you have your baby. And that's going to be like the last day's church. It's like, you know, hardships. And, you know, the marriage hasn't happened when we go through these hardships. The marriage hasn't happened. But then at the same time to understand like, wow, you know, the church is being refined. The virgin is being refined for the wedding. For the wedding. So let's look at here in verse 1. After the uproar, this is Acts chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Remember there was the uproar that happened in, in uh, the, the riot that happened, what we studied last week? And so he calls the disciples to himself, and he embraced them. Remember when they took, um, in, in, uh, chapter, uh, in the previous chapter, in verse uh, 29, they seized Gaius and Aristarchus. They were Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. They seized these two guys. You know, they were, they, they, they were like kind of like the, the object of their angst, the crowd's angst. And Paul wanted to go into the, the people, but the disciples wouldn't allow him. You know, think of what they would have done to Paul. But I love Paul's heart because he's like, you know, guys, it's not, it's not, don't take it out on Gaius and Aristarchus. It's, it's me you want. I'm the one you want. You see Paul's love for the church, not just the love, but the protection. Wanting to protect Gaius and Aristarchus, but, you know, the disciples withheld Paul. They said, no, Paul, you know, you have to go and share the word. You have, you know, the Lord has you on a mission. But then at the same time, you see Paul's heart, his desire to protect these guys. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. You know, don't take Gaius. Don't take Aristarchus. It's me you want. I love Paul's heart. But then at the same time, look at all these people that are growing with him. And we're going to study that here in depth. And so, you know, they leave to, uh, they, uh, uh, they departed to go to Macedonia. So they leave the Asia. When I say Asia, think of Asia Minor, which is more like, you know, more, uh, don't think of Asia, like, you know, in modern terms. Think of a Asia in like, uh, think of like a, a, a Roman Empire calendar, you know, Asia Minor. That's when you get into like uh, more westward towards Rome, towards Italy. You know, if you look at the modern calendar, not that, you know, it's a lot of the geographically speaking the land is the same but certain regions change and so uh, they leave asia and then they sail west and then in verse two now when he had gone over uh, uh when he had gone over that region and encountered them with many words he came to greece and so when he says he gone over it, it traverse is how that translates to traverse and canvas. And I love that so much because, you know, what he was doing is going back to these fellowships, encouraging them and encourage is to comfort. But then at the same time, it, it says many words and how that translates is many logos, much logos. And I specifically say logos because, you know, sometimes you like, for example, in John one verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and it's Logos. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. In John 1.14, and the Logos became flesh. Logos. The Logos became flesh. So as, you know, sometimes you see it's not, it's not a, a social club. Paul's not going back and seeing these people and saying, you know, uh, uh, how's your golf game, you know? How's your basketball game? You know, how, what's the, how, how are, the, how are the, uh, the Lakers doing? You know, how are the, the Bulls doing? 
Paul's not, you know, I mean, they might have a little ch- small chit chat. I don't know. But it's, you don't see a social club. You read the book of Acts, there's no social club. None at all, none whatsoever. And, you know, sometimes people get on my case. They say, like, well, you shouldn't say church is a social club. Well, you know, number one, I call it like I see it. Number two, church shouldn't be a social club. It's the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. It's like, have you seen like a, 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 like a, a kung fu studio or like a fight club? You know, a mixed martial arts club. You know, it's like you, you don't see guys in there that are like, you know, men and women nowadays. You don't, you know, you look in the window and you don't see them playing video games. You don't see them reading the paper. They're training, you know, rolling around on the mats. They're, they're hand to hand, rolling around, you know, the different maneuvers. They're training. Some are sweaty, super sweaty because they're working. And it's so beautiful to see because it's like, wow, they're, they're, they're in this mode of training. But that's what the church is like. You know, you should look inside the window of a church and see all the congregants. And see everybody like, you know, kind of like, you know, looking in an MMA studio. You know, like a boxing club, a fight club. And that's what we're doing. We're learning how to use our sword. And the sword is the word of God. We're putting on our armor and we're learning, we're training. And then we go out in the world and it's like, you know, I'm speaking spiritually. I'm not saying go out in the world and start beating people up. But you go out in the world and when evil confronts you, you're ready. You know how to fight because you've been taught, you've been trained. Now, if you look inside the window of a church and you see all kind of perversions, you know, you see the women hooking up with the men, the men hooking up with the women, doing all kinds of craziness, you know, pastors, you know, uh, uh, hooking up with the youth club, the youth, the youth, you, you, the, like the kids. That's what you see in the church today. You say like, man, that's so disgusting. Why do you even say that? You're right. It is disgusting. And I say it because it's growing carnality in the church. It's growing. You hear me talk about the last days. I bring up the last days quite a bit. But then at the same time, you know, we look at the last days, what the world looks like. We look at what the last days, what the church looks like, the great falling away. But then don't forget, look at the last days, what the pastors look like. I don't call them pastors, but I say pastors just so we can, you know, church leadership, so-called leadership. Look at what the last days leadership looks like in the tr- in, inside the church. Where you have shills, lemmings. You know, people who don't fear the Lord. And so all of a sudden they're going to start teaching a social gospel. No, you teach the gospel in accordance with the word of God. You know, you ha- it's very important to understand these things. So, you know, as our training, so you can equip the next generation. Maybe in your own home, maybe in your neighbor's for with your neighbors, a little home fellowship. So when you look at, when you think and consider the last days, look at the different factions of our society. You know, the last days world, the last days, you know, environment, the last days Christian, the last days church, and then the last days pastor. And you choose. You choose who you want to train you. I remember, you know, when I was a kid... You know, I I used to like fighting. I mean, I still like fighting. But, uh, you know, like I was a kid, I took these Kung Fu classes. 
I thought, wow, you know, I want to be in Kung Fu, you know. And so I went to these classes. And so one time the teacher was late, the, the sensei. He was late. And I thought he was the coolest guy, you know, in his Kung Fu outfit and everything. One time he was late and he comes walking in. And he's got, he, he looked like a nerd, you know, and like tip, like textbook nerd, like you see, like in the movies, you know, te- like this pocket protector, everything. And I was like, what? Like that cool guy, that tough guy, that's him in real life. And I was like, I'm done. I don't want to do this. So I start, I, we started a little fight club with my friends, you know, and it's so cool because I was like, I mean, you know, I don't say that to make fun of the guy. And, you know, forgive me if I come off that way. But I say that because, you know, who's your who's your pastor? Who's your teacher? Who do you lend the ear to? I mean, you know, I don't want to be taught by, you know, like by a shill. I don't want to be taught by a hireling. And, you know, the Lord will raise you. The Lord will train you. And it's like, wow, you know, the last day's warrior, the last day's fighter. And I'm not speaking carnally. Because when I say the last day's fighter, think of Stephen. Think of Stephen. You're like, wow, Stephen didn't fight. Stephen didn't fight at all. He took the stones to his death. There you go. The last day's fighter. That's what I'm talking about. You say, like, well, you, are you talking about, you know, like walking into bullets, walking into the, the to death, walking into the fire? Don't forget, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were led to the fire as well. Except there was one with them like the Son of Man. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. You know, it's so beautiful when you see these things. A a, a church that is getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Because the days are getting darker. But not only that, but the Holy Spirit inside of our heart is growing a person. Growing a person. Not being on milk. Milk is good, but milk is for babies. For babies. We grow and mature in Christ. You see, and then, you know, like in verse 2, when they had gone over the region, they started canvassing the area, encouraging the Christians, encouraging the pastors, the elders. With many words, many logos, not just many words like, you know, I'm going to talk your ear off, but many logos, I'm going to give you the word. I'm going to pump you full of the word of God. That's what I love so much about Paul. The word, the word, the word. Peter, the word, the word, the word. James, the word, the word, the word. That's what they did. That's what they were called to do. And look how the Lord blessed them in their day. And look how the Lord blessed them in our age. How he blesses us through the obedience of Paul. And not just Paul. Let's look what happens here in verse 3. And stayed there three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria. So they're about to head east now. He decided to return to Macedonia. So he changed his mind and goes north through Macedonia. Why? Because the Jews plotted against him. You know, it's very, you know, very interesting for us to see these things. Because sometimes we think, okay, uh, the Lord will protect me. So I'm going to go do it anyways. And, you know, in some cases, the Lord did protect. The Lord did provide a way out for Paul and specifically told Paul, Paul, don't worry about it. No one's going to harm you. No one's going to harm you. We studied that a couple weeks ago, remember? But then at the same time, you see like, oh, you know, because of the Jews that plotted against them, you know, they instead of going to sailing to Syria, they would go north to, to Macedonia. You know, don't, don't get down. A lot of times you see Christians are like, you know what, I'm going to walk through this fire and, you know, uh, the Lord will protect me. Well, what if the Lord doesn't? 
not to say that you know the Lord doesn't love you if He doesn't. Remember, it's 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 a beautiful thing. Uh, uh, beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. So you might say, oh yeah, you know what? The Lord will protect me. I'm gonna go through this region, and the Lord will protect me. Well, what if you know? Remember, beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. So what if the Lord's gonna your your life is over? You know, don't tempt the Lord. People say, you know, uh, like you know, remember Satan tempted Jesus. You know, go to the top of this building of the temple and get to the very apex of this temple and jump down and it is written, the angels will bring you down safely. You won't be harmed. And what, what if Jesus, I don't want to suggest, I don't want to be heretical, but what if Jesus took his advice? You know, a lot of times I think people think they're hearing from the Lord, think they're hearing from an angel of light. Without remembering that Satan presents himself as an angel of light. That's why we're told to test the spirits. You know, somebody's, you know, you hear like a voice, you're, oh, I just feel it in my heart. I feel this a fire in my bosom. And, you know, thus saith the Lord. And people say all the time, oh, yeah, I'm not going to lock my doors when I go to bed at night. The Lord will protect me. Yeah, the Lord will protect you. But when you read the entirety of Scripture, remember, Satan told Jesus, it is written, the angels will bring you down and nothing will harm you. You won't be harmed. He says, it is also written, Jesus Christ, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And people say, oh, yeah, I don't lock the door, my doors at night. You know, the Lord will protect me. No harm will come upon me. It is written, no harm will come upon me. What about the also, you know, it is also written. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't tempt the Lord your God. So, you know, in the last days, we, have, we can't be stupid. In the last days, we have to be very, very wise. Very, very wise. In the last days. Because they're treacherous times. Treacherous times for the Christian. For the Christian. I mean, have you ever gone through a minefield? I've been on patrol through a minefield before. Well, intelligence said this is a minefield. And I tell you the truth, it's scary. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine one step and you could blow up? Not just you. I mean, it's one thing if you would blow up. That's fine. But I mean, if you blow up and then the guys that you love, they might die too, depending on the type of ordinance it is. But intelligence says, you know, we're going from position one to position two. And, you know, intelligence says, you know, potential minefield over here. I've been on patrol in certain regions. And to know your next step could be like say goodnight. And it's fine for you because you know you 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 make choices. If you take a step and you blow up, no big deal because it's like you're gone. But like you blow up, it's like, man, you know, I know this guy's wife. You know how sad she's gonna be if this guy's getting blown up. You know, I've played with these guys, it's his son. I've played with his little daughter. You know, playing blocks with the little kids. And if he blows up, and I mean, so it's like, that's how the church is in the last days. It's like through a minefield. You know, it's like, man, you know, I'm, I'm going to make, I'm going to be careful for myself. Not for the sake for myself so much, but it's like, you know, I want to make sure that the little boy, my, 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 my friend's daughter, my friend's son is going to hug their daddy again. I'm going to make sure my friend's wife is going to hug her husband again. We're all going home. We're all coming home. So don't be stupid. 
I meant the stupid guy gets taken care of, you know, <laughs> because they're their liability. And I don't mean, I'm not suggesting that in the church, but I meant, you know, the stupid need not apply. You know, don't be foolish. Five foolish virgins. Don't be those guys. Be the wise virgins. Wise. And so look what happens here in verse 3. And so they, they turn to Macedonia. They go north, you know. And, and so I say that because, you know, it's it's like don't, don't a lot of times people, they, they're like, you know, oh, yeah, the Lord will protect me. I'm going to go ahead and go through Syria. The Lord will protect me. And, you know, it could be the Lord might, you know, the Lord might protect. But don't forget, you know, don't tempt the Lord your God. He might say, okay, you know what? I want to spend time with you. So you're done here and you're going to be with me. And not that that's, you know, an entirely bad thing. But at the same time, don't forget that you have a job to do. The Lord wants to use you to reach other people. The Lord wants to use you for, you know, those around you. Or maybe he's going to call you to a specific region, just like he did with Jonah. It's so beautiful when you see the entirety of Scripture and the New Testament teachings in light of what we learn from the Old Testament. It's entirely okay if, you know, in harm in harm's way, you say, wait a second, of course pray. But, you know, just like here, because the Jews plotted against him. Just like Paul. You know, Paul wanted to go into the crowd last week when we studied in uh, 1929, chapter 19, verse 29. Paul wanted to go in verse 30. Paul wanted to go into the people. The disciples would not allow him. So sometimes, you know, when Paul, he was like, you know what? The Lord told me he's going to protect me, so I'm going to go in. But then the people, they would, no, Paul, don't do that. It's not a good idea. But what you see is the body of Christ as one, working as one, as one. And that's what's going to happen in the last days as we get shed of these carnalities, as we, as the Lord sheds us of these uh, 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 carnal factions that war within us, we're going to have some hardcore choices to make about all things carnal. And when we make choices that honor the Lord in dealing with our own carnality, we're going to be refined and we're going to, you know, grow together. Unity of the church, unity of the bride, the last day's bride. In preparation for the wedding. The wedding hasn't happened. We are the bride of Christ. Whenever you hear people say we're the bride of Christ, which is a biblical truth, it's very forward-looking. I mean, say, for example, if like I'm a 500-pound guy and I tell you, yeah, I'm a professional athlete. You'd be like, whoa, that's crazy. But then like in, in five years, I'm a literal professional athlete. You know, like, yeah, you know, I got the muscles. I got it all. You know, it's like, okay, that's very forward-looking to say, I'm 500 pounds, and I say, yeah, I'm a professional athlete. That's what the church is like. Not that we're 500-pounders, but, you know, we're the, we're the bride of Christ. It's very forward-looking. It's okay. If we're the bride of Christ, then we have training to do. Making ourselves beautiful for the bridegroom. Sometimes guys, they talk to me and they say, well, you know, don't, isn't that weird to refer to yourself as the bride of Christ? Not at all. I love it. I love it so much. The idea of, you know, the bride and the bridegroom. Wow, I love it. As a Christian, as you know, it's as a... Remember, in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. None of that. In Christ. Sometimes, you know, some a guy comes to me and says, Don't you feel weird talking to yourself as the bride of Christ? No. 
Maybe there's it's kind of revealing of some carnality in a man. Because in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile. In Christ. It's to say, well, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're more religious than you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion will kill you. Religion will kill you. It will bring you harm. But faith, relationship, love relationship with Jesus Christ, that's entirely different. So let's look what happens here in verse 4. And Sopater of Berea, beautiful Sopater. We see Sopater, it's uh, Sosipater in Romans 16.21. Sometimes you see different variations of names like Saul and Paul and like uh, uh, Priscilla and Prissa. Remember how Paul referred to when he was uh, writing a letter? He says, yeah, tell, tell Prissa I say hi. Yeah, I'm kind of paraphrasing. But, you know, it's so cool because you see a little bit of humanity. You know, sometimes I meet people and I don't call them by their name. You know, I, I, there are certain traits about them and I call them by their traits. You know, it's, it's, I've been doing that my whole life. You know, like, you know, you have a fat guy and he's like a really cool guy and he's super fat, but you call him tiny. Hey, tiny, come here. You know, and you know, he's a super cool guy, like a big teddy bear. And he's like, he's not tiny at all. He's huge, but he's a beautiful, beautiful man. It's like, hey, tiny, come over here. You know, and you know, they have a nickname for you. It's like, I'm not saying that Sopater or Sosipater was a nickname, but you see that like with Priscilla, like her name was Priscilla and Paul was like, Prissa, called her Prissa. But and Sopater of Berea, the Bereans were beautiful, beautiful people, not like the Thessalonians, spiritually speaking. The Thessalonians, they didn't, you know, the, the Bereans were well known for uh, uh, studying the scriptures and searching the scriptures to see whether what Paul was saying was true or not. The Bereans, such was the case with Sopater. He was a Berean. What do I encourage for all of us, myself included, and for you? Let's be Bereans. Let's study the Word of God. Let's see what the Word of God has to say. And do that anytime you hear a sermon. You know, we go through the Word of God, but sometimes, you know, you, 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 have, you listen to, you know, a guy on TV. You know, go to the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to say. We have to do that because we're living in a day and age where pastors, pastors today have even said, you know, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. It's growing. I tell you the truth, such a doctrine is growing in the church. You didn't see it 20 years ago. You start, I started to notice it maybe about 10 years ago. And it's growing. And it's so interesting that for such a time as this, there's this growing teaching that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You say, well, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be raptured out. Okay, well, in case you don't make the rapture, this is for you in the event you're a tribulation saint. And, you know, if you want my opinion about the rapture, listen to our sermon, listen to our message. It's called, When is the Rapture? And if you want to know more about what I'm talking about, the mark of the beast, people saying it's okay to take the mark of the beast, listen to the other uh, 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 message. It's called, uh, Don't Take the Mark of the Beast. I'm going to forget these, so, you know, I, I, I might mention, I, I know I'm going to, like, in five months, and I'm going to forget these. I might, but I might not. But listen to those messages if you want to know, you know, deeper understanding of what I'm talking about. But this teaching in the last days, it's growing in the church. And I'm seeing it grow a lot more among the Reformed theology people. Reformed theology. I'm not a Reformed, I don't, I don't adhere to Reformed theology. Uh, just so you know, you're listening to me. You know, I don't adhere to Reformed theology. It's not to say that, you know, I hate Reformed theology. But, you know, if you're a brother or sister in Christ and, you know, you're into Reformed theology, 
I just want you to know I don't adhere to Reformed theology. I'm, I'm not a, 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 a Armenianist either. I'm just the guy who reads his Bible. That's it. Nothing fancy. It's so beautiful as, as we study the Word of God and we, we see what was written about the Bereans, how they search the Scriptures. That's how we have to be too as Christians. Because if a pastor stands at the pulpit and says, yeah, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Go ahead, take the mark of the beast. You can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. And then we read the Bible and the Bible says otherwise. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Are we going to yield to the guy? Or are we going to yield to the Logos, the Word of God? That's the choice that we have to make. Be a Berean. Such was the case with Sopater. And he was used of the Lord. I wonder how Sopater was when he was first when he first believed. You know, we see what a couple chapters ago what happens with you know with the Bereans when Paul was in uh, the disciple, the apostles were in Thessalonica. And then, you know, you see a couple, you know, towards the end of the chapter, and you see, okay, but the Bereans, different story with the Bereans. And here you have Sopater. He's joined with Paul. And then you have Sopater in Romans 16. It's like so beautiful to see. Like, wow, he's growing. So Sopater of Bria accompanied him to Asia. Also, Aristarchus, that he was the guy who was caught in the city in the previous chapter, 1929. And in Colossians 4.10, he's in prison with Paul. You also see him mentioned in Philemon, Aristarchus. It's so beautiful to see this because what do you see? You see these, I mean, you see like when uh, 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 Aristarchus of Ephesus, he's captured. He's like a new believer, new believer in Christ. But then I love these names because you see them all throughout the, the epistles, Paul's writing, sometimes Peter's writing. And it's like, it's so beautiful because it's like, wow, you know, he's still in the faith. He's walking with the Lord. He's still in the faith and not just still in the faith, but growing and being used of the Lord. So also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians. In you remember in our study in Acts 17, there was the home invasion of Jason in his home. But you know, here it's it, you have Secundus, one of one of Paul's fish. Secundus. One of Paul's fish. You know, you don't see mention of Secundus when we studied Acts 17. But here you see Secundus. A little little fish. Little fish that Paul caught. And so and Secundus of the Thessalonian Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby. There's several Gaiuses in, in, in the future writings of Paul in the epistles, but you have uh, uh, there's a, 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 a Gaius of Corinth, a Gaius of Macedonia, Gaius of Derby, that's this guy. And then there's another Gaius which is John's friend. Sometimes people say that, that you know, uh, Macedon Macedonian region, since it included areas of, like, in, in uh, 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 certain regions that touched into these other areas, maybe one Gaius is, you know, the same guy, or maybe John's friend is one of the three. Yeah, I don't know, but, you know, you see this Gaius mentioned. It is a popular name, too. But it's so beautiful to see these names because we can reflect back on the birth of the church and be like, wow, I remember when, you know, I, he was a new believer over here. I remember when this guy was joined with Paul. I remember like Priscilla and Aquila when they were joined with Paul. And you're going to see Priscilla and Aquila named in featured books. Prissa and Aquila. It says, so Gaius and Derby uh, and Timothy. Beautiful, beautiful Timothy. Little Timmy. 
Little Timmy, don't forget the ministry of, you know, mama and grandma. Mama and grandma. Their ministry unto little baby. I wonder what it was like when she was pregnant, you know? This little belly growing, getting bigger and bigger. What they do, sing hymns to the little growing baby. This is interesting. I read this uh, uh, article recently. Everybody says that, you know, a fetus is just a fetus, a lump of cells. But, you know, there was this thing that said that, it was the headline said, fetuses can understand languages. A fetus, fetus, a fetus can understand different languages. And I read it, I was like, what in the world? You know, I thought a fetus was just a lump of cells in accordance with what the world teaches. But no, you know, life begins at conception. And a little growing fetus, a little growing baby inside. The world says, oh yeah, it's just a fetus, just a lump of cells. But a little growing, you know, little growing soul inside of your belly. And then all of a sudden, you know, the belly gets bigger and bigger. You feel them start to kick. You feel them start to move around. And they can hear voices. You know, what the scientists are saying is that fetus can understand different languages. Stupid. That's what's so cool about the last days. You're starting to see stupidity of the smart people. The so-called smart people are, it's being revealed that they're really not smart. They're really stupid. It's being revealed. And we say, oh yeah, climate change. Climate change, you know, the rioting is happening because of climate change. And then you read the article, why they say that. Like, man, this doctorate and whatever is stupid. This professor is stupid. It's on full display. It's so beautiful to see because, you know, you rest your laurels on academia. And no, you rest your laurels on Jesus Christ and his word. That's where we find rest. That's, that's, this is the rock on which we stand, the word of God and the word became flesh. It's Jesus Christ. Beautiful, beautiful little Timmy. And he's a little boy and it was prophesied about him. It, it, uh, uh, prophesied about him that you know he's going to be used of the Lord, a vessel of the Lord. And so what happens? You know, they they ask Paul, Paul, can you take him under your wing? And Paul takes him under his wing. And how Timothy learned? He learned. He saw Paul. You know, when he was in the synagogue, he saw Paul in action. He saw Paul being persecuted too. He saw Paul with you know, you know, hardcore persecution too. And you see that, you understand that, and it's like, whoa, this is. Timothy's getting like real world teachings. You know, he's learning from like a fighter. He's learning from a warrior. You know, he's not learning from, you know, a, a little weakling guy. He's learning from a straight up warrior. Why? Because he's going to be a future pastor. He's going to be used of the Lord in fulfillment of what was prophesied unto his life. But, you know, as we look at Timothy, as much as we, you know, look at Timothy and see how, you know, he has, he's such a beautiful beautiful man in the Lord, brother in the Lord. Don't forget the ministry of uh, uh, mama and grandma. Timothy's mama and grandma. And Tychicus, it is written here in verse 4, Tychicus. Who is Tychicus? You know, it's so cool because you know, it's, 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 you see Tychicus here, but turn with me really quick to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. <clears throat> Ephesians 6 verse... 21, Ephesians 6, 21. And in Ephesians 6, 21, what do we see here? You know, you see in chapter 6, the Lord is teaching us about, uh, um, uh, you know, godly living for children, for husbands, for servants. When you think of servants, it's like, man, you know, we don't live in a servant, 
depending on where you are, we don't live in a servant culture. But what do we have? We have employer-employee relationships. Think of it like that. And then so, and then you see spiritual warfare in chapter six. But then in verse twenty-one, what do we see here? Paul is he's encouraging the church about spiritual warfare. But in verse twenty-one, look what happens here. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Remember, this is a church family. And you can't mandate family. You know, you can't meet somebody. Like, if I were to meet you face to face and say, oh, yeah, you know, here I am. You know, you can't immediately say, okay, you're my family. You know, let me take you in as my brother. You know, you, you have to you like not see me, but like see the fruit, pray, and the Holy Spirit will like make ties. You know, have you ever met some? Have you ever been in a church environment and, you know, you have a friend in the church and they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, you're a Christian too. Cool. Okay. Uh, uh, it's ladies night tonight. Let's go to the, let's go to the clubs. You know, it's ladies night. And you're like, what? It's kind of like, uh, you know, the Lord rescued me from that lifestyle. Why am I going to go back and do that stuff? But inside the church, you start to see a certain level of carnality and fruit of the spirit. It's, it's just, it shouldn't be that way, but that's what you see. You know, you have some friends who say, oh, yeah, come over to my place. We're going to get drunk tonight. Come over. And you're like, whoa, no, no. How about you come over to my place? Let's have a Bible study. Let's study the Bible. Let's have a little, little prayer time, a fellowship and pray. And then, you know, it's you start to see these things. You know, that's called the fruit. You see the fruit. So, like, if I were to meet you face to face, like, in an hour, and I, I meet you, like, face to face, it would take some time, maybe, like, weeks. I don't know. But it it would take time for you to see fruit and, you know, for, for us to be like, wow, you know what? You're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. It would take time. And that's something that is revealed by the Holy Spirit. You know, if, if you're very carnal and I meet you, I'll tell you like, whoa, man, you're very carnal, you know, but it's out of love, you know, and then, you know, we would meet and then, you know, it's like, you know, let's let's pray, you know, let's have a little Bible study. Let's pray together. And it's so beautiful because that's family. That's family. And then I meet you and it's like, man, you know, you're like hardcore. You love the Lord. You fear the Lord. Man, this is so beautiful. And, you know, it's like you see the love inside the church. That's fellowship of the saints. Not that, you know, fellowship of the saints. Remember who the saints are. Consecrated unto the Lord. Set apart unto the Lord. <clears throat> Holy. <clears throat> holy unto the Lord. Set apart and holy unto the Lord. That's the saint. And so you, people, you know, sometimes people have told me before, like, yeah, you, you know, you shouldn't say it like that, you know, because, you know, there's carnal Christians, but you know, God still loves them. Yeah, God loves them. But go and sin no more, just like Jesus Christ told the people. Go and sin no more. So, you know, don't go bar hopping and get drunk and do your drugs, do your sexual stuff. Be holy for the Lord is holy. We are consecrated unto Him, holy unto Him. It's His work. And when you see that in the bride of Christ, in our refining that the Holy Spirit does upon the church, our refinement that is going to happen even, even more so <clears throat> in the last days, then you're going to start to see, it's like, wow, this is... This is koinonia. This is sunago. 
you know, fellowship of the saints, fellowship of people who are set apart, fellowship of holy people. And so in verse 21 in Ephesians 6, but that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, here he is, beautiful Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose. You see, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Wow, beautiful Tychicus. Beautiful Tychicus. You see what in our study in Acts uh, 20, he's joined with Paul. And you know, you see that he was joined with Paul, but he stays with Paul. And then he's used of Paul. And he, I shouldn't say used of Paul. He's used of the Lord in Paul's ministry. To give report, you know, send back to the Ephesians. Oh yeah, you know, I, I'm, you know he's going to report and tell you guys how we're doing, how things are going. And he's also going to comfort your hearts. What a beautiful man, Tychicus. Beautiful, beautiful man. I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to meet this guy. My brother in the Lord. And, you know, in Titus chapter 3, verse 12, we see that Tychicus, he's, you know, he's also like a pastoral fill-in. So, like, you see, like, pastors, you know, uh, there's not a lot of time off for pastors. Uh, but when there is a time off, maybe they want to spend some time with their family, spend some time with their wife, you know, a little bit of time off. You know, there's, you know, you come to church on a Sunday, you go to church on a Wednesday or whenever you have your meeting and there's a fill in. Okay, this guy's going to teach you guys from the word. This guy's going to fill in and, and teach you guys. And that's how Tychicus was, you know, not a believer, becomes a believer. He's, a you know, on milk. And he grows, he matriculates, he matures. And as he matures, he's used in the ministry. In, in, in Romans 15, verse 25, he's a deliverer, like a messenger, but he, he delivers gifts to the church in Jerusalem. So he's well-trusted, well-trusted. And then you see him further in Acts 20, Romans 15, and then in Titus 3, verse 12, we see him as a little fill-in, pastoral fill-in. You see his growth, Tychicus. He's growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The same way you are growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him, let the Lord do his work inside your heart. And you grow in Jesus Christ. Just like you see Timothy, you know, like baby with the mama and grandma. And you see the baby, his growth prophecy before him on his life, being a vessel of the Lord. And then, you know, he's joined with Paul. He's used by Paul, used by the Lord in the ministry of Paul. And then all of a sudden he becomes a pastor. A pastor. So beautiful to see these things and understand these things. But then let's go back to Acts 20 now. <clears throat> In Acts 20, verse 4. And Tychicus, which we read a little bit about Tychicus. And Trophimus. Trophimus of Asia. And he was an Ephesian. We see that next chapter in 29, 21, verse 29. Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us. These men going ahead waited for us. You see, what's so beautiful about this group of men that we just read about, Sopater, uh, uh, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Trophimus, you see their growth in the Lord. They're fish, you know, non-believers, and then they're caught by Paul. They're caught by Paul. They fish to lambs to sheep, to vessels for the use of the Lord in the ministry of God's Word. For use in the ministry. They've been equipped. They've been trained. And in some cases, shepherds. 
You know, such as the case with Timothy, shepherd. Such as the case with Tychicus, a fill-in shepherd. And they're maturing in Christ. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews 5. <clears throat> in Hebrews 5. <clears throat> Hebrews 5, verse 12. Hebrews 5, 12. And it's not written, it's not exactly clear who, well, I mean, it's not written, it's not identified who wrote Hebrews. And I, I was going to say it's not exactly clear, but me personally, it is exactly clear. I think it's Paul. I can make a strong case it's Paul, but there's no definitive text that says Paul wrote Hebrews. But I can make a strong case. Look at correlating verses, styles of writing, and with other letters that Paul wrote. You can say, wow, this is, this is totally Paul. <clears throat> but in verse 12, in, in Hebrews 5, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teachers. You see, this isn't an indictment. This isn't, you know, if, if you're a new believer and you're on milk, this isn't an indictment. You know, this is an encouragement to say like, okay, you're on milk. Okay, beautiful. Now, in, in the course of time, you're going to be on little spiritual Cheerios and then you're going to eat your little spiritual little uh, breads and then, you know, you're going to grow, eat spiritual chicken and then you're going to eat spiritual pork chops. You know, you're, you're going to grow. Now, if you've been a believer for 20 years, 30 years, and you're still on milk, I want to say this isn't an indictment, but it kind of is an indictment. You know, I used to be on milk for a very long time. And so, you know, the Lord hammered me because it's not a good thing to be on milk. You know, it's good. good, good. Milk is good, but for babies, always remember that. But here the writer says in verse 12, for, by this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You know, that's what happened with the church in Corinth. I love 1 Corinthians. I love 2 Corinthians so much. And I'm glad it's captured in the canon of the truth of God's holy word. I love it. But what's so sad is that the carnality in the church that carnality in the church that we see in chapter 5, you know, and a lot of sexual sin in the church, <clears throat> that carnality in the church, it was a direct result of their immaturity, a direct result of their diet of milk, direct result. It's not good to be on milk. What threat is babies? And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to paint a picture that's kind of ugly. But if you were getting it in a fight, say you're like a 40-year-old a male, a 30-year-old male, or you know, 30-year-old female for that matter. And you're going to get in a fight and I tell you, okay, this is going to be a brutal, brutal fight. You know, I'm kind of like prepping you like, oh yeah, you know, it's going to be a brutal fight. You know, a little uh, massage on the shoulders. Are you ready for this? You know, kind of chop up your forearms a little bit. You know, Are you ready for this? Okay, this is going to be brutal. And you step in your corner. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be a brutal fight. But you know, I trained you. And then all of a sudden, a little two-year-old comes walking out. And you're like, what? What in the world is this? How is this going to be a fight? This isn't even a fight. You're right. It's not even a fight. And that little two-year-old or maybe one-year-old is on milk. Not a threat to you. That's how Satan is. A Christian on milk is no threat to him. None whatsoever. Look at the church in Corinth. You know, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, you see like, wow, you know, Paul says, I wish I could speak to you like adults, but I got to talk to you like to babies. Not a good thing. 
Not a good way. You receive a letter from Paul and you start to read it. And you're like, wow, you know, love you too, Paul. You know, it's, it's not a good thing. I mean, it's good that you're being encouraged. It's good that you're being exhorted. Remember, exhortation includes warning. Exhortation includes uh, the imploration, the admonition. Sometimes people think exhortation is just about comfort. No, it's not just about comfort. Exhortation includes warnings. Never, ever forget that. People have told me before, oh yeah, we're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to exhort one another. True. But if you're in sin, if I'm in sin, who's going to warn us? And that's what happens with milk. That's what happened with the church in Corinth. Had they not been on milk, those things wouldn't have happened because somebody would have been in the fellowship to say, hey, guys, our rejoicing isn't good. But it was Paul who had to write a letter. And you know what? You know what's so beautiful about that whole thing? That whole, it was Chloe, those in the household of Chloe. I, I can't wait to meet Chloe. I can't wait. You know, what was her home fellowship? Who were those in her home fellowship? Because, every, you know, and she's a woman. A lot of times women think like, man, you know, I'm just a woman in the church. Praise the Lord, you're a woman. Look at all the beautiful women in the Bible. Beautiful. I mean, mama and grandma of Timothy. Chloe. Zipporah. And there's going to be more. We're going to talk about even more. Lydia, my favorite. I shouldn't say my favorite, but Lydia, like, wow. She's like, I love her. She's so hardcore. There's like certain like Zipporah, Lydia. Um, I don't know, Zipporah and Lydia. <laughs> Those are beautiful women. And it's so cool because it's like, wow, you know, you see these tough women. You know, brave, tough. And then at the same time, you know, it's like, you, you see how Chloe... She was like, you know, something's wrong. The spirit was in her heart. Like the spirit was like, you know, something's not right about this. Look at the people on milk. Not not just the people on milk, but look at the fruit of that. You know, a lot of sexual activity inside the church. And so Chloe was like, man, something's wrong about this. So I'm going to write a letter to Paul. Hey, Paul, there's some stuff going on in the church. She starts writing. Paul, look at this stuff going on in the church. I don't think it's right. Paul caught wind of it. And what does he do? He writes 1 Corinthians. You know how many people today would say, Oh, you know, Chloe, you're gossiping. You're not supposed to gossip. Chloe, you're meddling. No, she was led by the Spirit. Paul, this isn't right. Beautiful Chloe, another tough girl. These beautiful, tough women in the Bible. Man, it's so beautiful to see. You know, a lot of men, they're so stupid. Because, you know, they look at like all these magazines, they look at the TV and they think like, wow, this is a beautiful woman. This is what a beautiful woman looks like. And then they go to their wife. Wife, you have to look like this. You have to wear your makeup like this. You have to wear the clothes like this. You have to work out so your body can look like this. No, don't do that. If you're a man that does that, repent. That's stupidity. That's foolishness. You read the Bible and you see all these beautiful women. Zipporah, Chloe, you know, mama and grandma of Timmy. You see, it's like, whoa, such beautiful, beautiful women, you know? And I don't, I'm not speaking, when I say beautiful women, I'm not speaking carnally. You know, I don't, my mind's not, you know, if you're thinking like, well, that's, you know, you shouldn't talk that way. Number one, my mind doesn't go there, so don't let your mind go there. But when I say beautiful women, it's like, wow, you see, I say the same about, about men, you know? You know, little kids, beautiful little Timmy. You know, I, I say beautiful men, beautiful women, but you see, 
righteousness, how beautiful Christ is inside of these people. You know, babies aren't threats. Little two-year-olds aren't threats. And in the last days, when the threat is upon us, when the threat is palpable, when the threat is, you know, life-threatening, if you're on milk, it's going to be very dangerous for you. Look at verse 13. Still in Hebrews 5. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. Unskilled in the word of righteous in the in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You know what unskilled translates to? Inexperienced and ignorant. Unskilled. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use, which is practice, reason of use, practice, have their senses exercised, exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Let us move forward to perfection. Let us endure to perfection. Let us be driven to perfection. That's how that translates. To reach, endure, be driven, and move to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms of laying on of hands of resurrection of the dead and of eternal and of eternal judgment. Paul is saying, move forward. If I'm talking to a first grader, I'm going to say, praise the Lord, you're in first grade. When you're done, let's go to second grade. If I'm talking to a second grader, praise be to the Lord. When you're done learning, you graduate and what happens? You go to the third grade. If I'm talking to a 10th grader, Praise be to the Lord, you're in 10th grade. You know what? You're not, you're not, you know, finger painting anymore in 10th grade. You're not finger painting anymore. You've moved on from arithmetic. Now you graduate, you go to 11th grade, you go to the collegiate level, and you know, you matriculate. And when you're in college, you'd, you take English 101. And then, you know, you get into English 505. I don't know what, you know, whatever number it is. Doctorate level. And that's how it is in Christ. You're always going to be learning. When you're done learning, you'll be dead. The Lord will bring you home when you're done. When He's done with you, you'll be dead. You see, we're always learning, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. You see, like, wow, how is that biblical to to leave the, the principles of Christ? No, leave the elementary principles of Christ. It's to say, you're done with elementary school, now you go to middle school. You know, middle school, now you go to high school. And you know, with high school, now you go into college. In the world, college, you know, I'm reading these articles. There's these colleges, you know, main, major college universities. They're dumbing their education down. They're saying, you know, the modern, uh, modern academic curriculum, it's racist. So we're not, we're not studying this anymore. We're not studying this anymore. So it's like you enter college and you literally become more stupid. It's crazy. I have some friends that are college professors. And they even say, like, I can't say this publicly, but, man, people are stupid. My students, all of them are stupid. Because they've dumbed down the academic criterion. It's crazy, crazy town. That's the world. What about inside the church? Grow. Leave elementary school. Leave middle school. Leave high school. 
and you grow and you enter, you mature, you enter into the more uh, a higher academia in accordance with the word of God. I shouldn't say academia. I'll say you enter deeper, deeper understandings, deeper meanings, move on to perfection. Let us go on to perfection. Turn to Second Peter really quick. Second Peter chapter three. Second <clears throat> Peter three. Verse fourteen. Verse fourteen. Therefore, beloved, beautiful, beautiful Peter. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. Be diligent. Translate says to make an effort, endeavor, and study. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist or pervert is how it translates to their own destruction as they do the rest of scriptures. So he's saying, Paul, you know, Paul is, has, has been given wisdom. Paul has been given wisdom. And he says, our, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. And he pinpoints the, the people that, 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 that twist the teachings of Paul. They're untaught and unstable but they twist it to their own destruction as they do the rest of scriptures. See, he's telling the church, hey, you guys have to make a choice. And I'm telling you, you know, Paul is a righteous man. He's our brother in Christ. The Lord is using him. But what does he say? This is the, the, the how he challenges the church. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware, lest you also fall away from your own steadfastness. This beware is a military term. It's to be on guard. Beware, lest you also fall away. Drop away is how that translates. From your own steadfastness. Being led away. It's seduction. It's seduced is how it translates. Being led away. You see seduction in the world. You know, you see like, you know, men who say like, oh yeah, I'm seduced. There's this woman at work. She's a seductress. It's like, no, she's not a seductress. It's you. It's your dirty mind. You know, she's not a seductress. Most guys I know are too ugly to be seduced. You know, it's like, I don't say that, you know, to, to, to ingest, but I say that it's like, you know, she's not a seductress. You know, like you're no prize. She's not, it's your dirty mind. And so it's, it's some guys, you know, oh yeah, I, there's this, you know, lady at the grocery store, she's seducing me. No, that's your dirty mind. That's your dirty mind. She's actually a nice lady. But because of your dirty mind, because you don't, you know, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. She's not seducing you. You've fallen yourself. You've allowed your mind to get dirty and filthy. And instead of thinking on whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, you think about disgusting things. You know? I'm not blind. You're no prize. What's the seduce about you? You know, I say that to men. A lot of men are very stupid in the last days. Oh, she's a seductress. No, that's your dirty mind. 
No, no granted, there are sed- seductress out there. But, you know, uh, most of the guys, I mean, most of the guys I know, they're just, they're, I don't know. I shouldn't say it like that, but they're just, uh, I don't know. Just in my, I would say like 95% of the men have who have talked to me about a so-called seductress has been a result of their dirty mind, not an actual seductress. But there's seductresses out there. But the same thing happens with the faith in our walk with Jesus Christ. Being, a, being led away, in verse 17, how Peter writes, being led away with the error of the wicked. It, it's seduction, being led away. Spiritual seduction. The same way you see worldly seduction. Spiritual se- seduction. Satan wants you, you know, honestly, I don't think Satan minds Christians on milk. I do not think he minds Christians on milk. At all. I mean, Look at the church in Corinth. Look at how, in the course of time, he would he he you know he doesn't see Christians on milk as a threat, but look at what happens. You see this carnality rise up in the church, and even Paul says, you know, take this brother and kick him out of the church before the destruction of the flesh because a little leaven leavens the bunch. I don't think Satan minds. You know, he he would prefer no Christians, but Christians on milk. I don't think he minds. The ones he minds, look at the ones who have been killed. Those aren't milky Christians. Those are meat eaters. Those are meat eating Christians. And when I say meat, I mean like spiritual pork chops. They dig down deep into the word of God. The ones who have been killed are like the meat eaters. Like Stephen, like Peter, like Paul. You know, all these beautiful people. And so in verse 18, still in 2 Peter 3, but grow, mature, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. As Brother Peter encouraging the church to grow. Don't be seduced. You know, spiritually, don't be seduced. I mean, don't be seduced worldly too, but you know that. Don't be seduced spiritually. Don't be on milk grow leave elementary school let's go to middle school and so let's go back to acts 20 now acts 20 now let me indicate these names let me read verse 4 again and sopater of berea accompanied him to asia also aristarchus and segundus of the Thess- of the thessalonians thessalonians and gaius of derby and timothy and tychicus and trophimus of asia you know, you could read verse 4 and just be like, okay, look at all these names. But you read these names and understand their own transition from non-believer to fish, to a lamb, to a sheep, to vessels, and some of them to shepherds. You see, they themselves matured in Christ. They themselves, you know, became believers. They were in spiritual preschool, spiritual, you know, kindergarten. Spiritual elementary school, spiritual middle school, spiritual high school, spiritual college. And look how they're used of the Lord. Look how they're used of the Lord. I don't say that to bring shame upon you. If you're a Christian on milk and you've been on milk for 10 years, 20 years, I don't say that to bring shame on you. I don't, you know, I don't bring shame on you. But we read these passages, we read these scriptures, and you might feel shame. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh at that either. But praise be to the Lord. 
Praise be to the Lord. If you feel shame, like, man, Lord, I blew it. Join the club. You know how many times it's like, wow, Lord, I've blown it. I blew it. Praise be to the Lord. You know what's so cool about repentance? Change. You can change. You just make a change. You're on milk. You've been on milk for 20 years. You've been on milk for 10 years. You've been on milk for five years. Cut it out. Don't be on milk. Time to eat some Cheerios. You make the choice. I can't make the choice. I can encourage you. We can read these passages and you might feel shame. Not shame that's like, you know, in a worldly sense. But shame like, you know, it happens all the time with me. I felt shame, you know, by the Holy Spirit before. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Don't don't let, you know, Satan is the one who will tell you, oh yeah, shame is a bad thing. You know, being chastised by the Lord is a bad thing. But no, what does the Bible tell us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11? Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's part of training. Part of training. So, you know, if you feel like discouraged, like, man, you know, I've been on milk for 10 years. I've been on milk for five years. And you hear me say, hey, cut it out. Time to eat Cheerios. You know, it's not like a, it, I wouldn't call it a chastening. You might call it a chastening, but I don't call it a chastening. I call it, you know, a brother telling you like encouragement and exhortation to say, hey, get off the milk. And, you know, if you're a man, I got to be careful in my sentiments about men because, you know, a lot of men like milk. A lot of men like milk. You know, I see a lot of women who, you know, they go from milk to Cheerios to pork chops quickly. But a lot of men, just like you see in the world, you know, we're late bloomers. You know, I don't think I matured till I was like, I don't know, 40. <laughs> no, I don't think I matured. You know, I didn't mature till I was a late bloomer. You know, you see that in the world, you know, and, and you know, but you see it in the church as well. Men are late bloomers. Men like milk. I, you know, I could go into reasons why, but I don't want to hammer men. But it's to say, you know what? Grow. Let's grow in Christ. Get off the milk. Leave the bottle. Get, you know, cut the umbilical cord. Get rid of the bottle. Put on your big boy pants. And you know, and let's fight. Let's roll around on the mat. You know, we have to train. Let's roll. Let's, you know, let's take it to the mat. Let's roll around. Let's do some sparring. You see, that's, that's equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And in the work of the ministry, don't forget, Satan's a fisherman too. Do you know what you're going to encounter? I don't know how the Lord's going to call you. I don't know how the Lord's going to use you. But when you go out in the work of the ministry, you know Satan wants to kill you. He wants to kill you when you're not in ministry, but when you're in ministry, he wants, still wants to kill you, but even more so. Because now you're taking his, you know, what he thinks is his people. You're going on his turf. And so many people say, oh yeah, I'm going to go in this, this ministry to, you know, the meth heads, the crackheads, the sex addicts. And what happens? Because they're not equipped, they're not trained to fight, they get sucked into these lifestyles. Oh yeah, I'm going to go minister and give the good news to this, you know, uh, sex addict. I'm going to go and preach the good news to these prostitutes. And they go out and do it, and then all of a sudden they become a prostitute. We have to fight. We have to roll around the mat, hand to hand. Pick up our weapons, train. Look in the window of the church, what do you see? You see a bunch of worldly, disgusting things? Or you see a bunch of fighters rolling around on the mats, sweating like crazy, training. 
That's where you want to be. For the last day's church, that's where you want to be. Such is the case with these beautiful, beautiful men. Sopater, uh, Aristarchus, Segundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Trophimus. You see how beautiful this is? Look at in verse 5. Let's, we're in Acts 20 now. In verse 5, these men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed uh, from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Notice in verse 5, waited for us. It's the first person. So Dr. Luke is writing in the first person, so he's there with them. Waited for us. Now on the first day of this of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Continued his logos until midnight. So they're not just shooting the breeze until late at night. You know, he's giving the word of God, the logos, giving the word until midnight. So he's speaking for a long time. A lot of logos, a lot of logos. People have told me, hey, can you give shorter sermons? Can you teach for like 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes max? And, you know, I, I just say, you know, I'll pray about it. You know, and, you know, that, you know, if somebody wants to stay and listen, that's fine. But if somebody doesn't want to stay and listen, that's also fine. I have to be obedient to the Lord, the leading of the Holy Spirit. You see? And so what happens here, you know, Paul is straight up preaching for a long time. Me personally, it's not say, it's not exactly clear whether they partook of communion. But me personally, I believe that they did partake of communion. You know, on communion Sundays, when we read like uh, 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 1 Corinthians 11, you know, but when you read 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, it's all centered around a meal, all centered around a meal and the breaking of bread. When you read chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians, you see that there's mention of breaking of the bread, but the inclusion of communion. And so, you know, it, it because of those present, a small group of beautiful, godly men, especially with these exhortations that are going to come, you start to wonder like, wow, you know, did they partake of the elements of communion? Me personally, I think they did. It's not like a, you know, it, it's, not, it, it's not like, you know, I'm not going to debate or fight with any about it, anybody about it, but I think that they partook of communion. And so until midnight, straight up until midnight, what if they, what if they broke bread at like five o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night, and Paul is speaking until midnight. Look what happens here in verse eight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. So it's nighttime. There's many lamps, literally and spiritually, many lamps. Sunago, gathered together. They were gathered together. They were sunago in the Greek. And so and they're in the upper room. Notice the upper room. In verse 9, And in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. Remember, it's midnight. He was overcome by the sleep. So have you ever like, you know, you try to stay up, you know, it's really late and you try to stay up and it's like, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to try and stay up for the next five minutes. And like three minutes later, you're, you're out you're, for the life. You can't you keep your eyes open. Well, that's what happened with Eutychus. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he's preaching, reasoning and, and, and uh, 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 preaching and, and uh, 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 reasoning, it says he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So remember, he was sitting in the windowsill, sitting in the windowsill. And what happens? He fell asleep, deep sleep, kind of like rocking back and forth. He fell into a deep sleep and boom, he fell. Boom, three stories down, three stories down. That's hardcore. I mean, if you've ever, you know, you've seen somebody fall from a high, yeah, yeah. 
I've experienced that. You know, I've seen people fall from, you know, high level and commit suicide. You know, jump out and boom, dead. And it's 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 that's not a it's not a good sound. It's it's kind of like a horrendous sound to to see. Like it almost sounds like lumber. You know, like a human body crashing. You know, it's it's not a good sound. But you see these, they fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. And so they go down, check on him, raise him up, like lift up his head. And like, sure enough, he's dead. Look what happens here in verse 10. But Paul went down, fell on him and embraced and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. When it says he fell on him, he lay on him, lay on him is how it translates. You know what's interesting? You read 1 Kings 17 and you read about Zarephath. Zarephath and her son in another upper room. Read that in your own personal studies. 1 Kings 17 and Elijah. You see how the Lord is working Old Testament and New Testament. The Lord is working. Very interesting upper room in both cases. Upper room. Now when he had come up and broken bread and eaten... And talked a long while, you know, and talked a long while. So he's still, remember, it's midnight. What if they broke bread at like 7 o'clock at night, 5 o'clock at night, maybe 8 o'clock at night? Paul's teaching for, you know, till midnight. You know, Eutychus falls out the window. You know, he's revived. He comes back to life. They go back in the building. And Paul keeps teaching. Straight up keeps teaching. He talked a long while, even till daybreak. Even till daybreak. So the light, you know, the birds start chirping. You hear the birds chirp, the rooster crows, the light comes, and then he departed all night long. Paul is teaching, encouraging the body. You know how beautiful that is? So beautiful to see this. Like Paul, remember he's a former Pharisee of Pharisees, understands the scriptures, telling these beautiful, beautiful godly men, former non-believers, former fish, now, you know, lambs to sheep. They become vessels, and some of them are shepherds. Some of them are future shepherds, future pastors. And just speaking, teaching the Word of God for the next generation of righteousness. What happens when Paul dies? Historically, Paul, about seven years later from this moment, from this precise moment, about seven years later, Paul's going to be killed. Paul's going to be killed. And so what is he doing? He's pouring into the next generation. If you're a pastor... You know, you, nobody knows when you're going to you know, take your last breath. But you pour into the next generation of righteousness. Pour in as much as you can. Just, you know, the Lord pours into you and you pour out. If you're a pastor, specifically a pastor, you pour out to the next generation. You see, it's so beautiful. You see it with, with Paul all night long, teaching, teaching, pouring in. You know, he's not speaking to a church He's not speaking to Christians. I mean, he's speaking to Christians, but not like the Christians at large. He's speaking to ministry leaders. Ministry leaders, future pastors, comforters, people, vessels who are used by the Lord. And he's pouring into them, investing in them. You know what he's doing? You know what's happening here in this upper room? Kodesh, Kodesh. That's what's happening here. All night long, Kodesh, Kodesh. If you're a pastor... Bring in your ministry team, worship leader, elders, you know, bring in your people and have Kodesh Kodesh. It's so beautiful. Kodesh Kodesh. That's what's happening here in this upper room. If you're listening, you're like, Kodesh Kodesh, what in the world? 
listen to our study through Leviticus. I forgot. I don't know if I forgot which Leviticus, which chapter in Leviticus. So, you know, I think I mentioned it in all of them. But start in Leviticus 1 and get caught up. And you'll understand. You'll be like, oh, that's Kodesh, Kodesh. So start in Leviticus 1 and get caught up to where we're at. And so he says here in verse uh, uh, 12, And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. It's so beautiful what's happening here. In verse 13, in closing, it says, Then we went to the ship and sailed to Assos. Notice, first, you know, okay, so something about uh, uh, Dr. Luke. In the verse 5, says, Waited for us. So it's first person. And then in verse 7, says spoke to them it's no longer first person and then in 13 in verse 13 says then we so it's first person again so me personally i don't think dr luke was there in the upper room i don't think he was there people say he was there but i don't me personally i don't think he was there based on you know you see the first person not first person then first person again what i think dr luke was doing maybe with another person maybe it was by himself i think he was doing the logistics of this boat because they're about to do some island hopping and go from island to island to island they're about to do some island hopping. And remember, like we live in it. We're spoiled today. You know, you have apps on your phone. You say, I'm going to go from point A to point B. And I'll do a little bit in between. Do these things. You put your budget. You click a button. And boom, everything's arranged. You hit buy. And boom, everything's done. You have, you know, Apple Pay or whatever pay. And boom, it's all done. You get your itinerary in the email. It just says, okay, show up at this time. We're so spoiled. The last day's generation, we're so spoiled. But back then, a little bit of schmoozing had to happen. You know, and there's favor of the Lord, but you know, Doctor Luke, maybe he went and talked to the boat people. Like, hey, are you gonna, you know, bring shipment over here? You know, but we're customers. Paul, remember, Paul bought some of your uh, 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 of your gear. Paul bought some of your your fabrics. Paul brought some of your material, and so you know, because we're your customers, can you give us a ride over here? Can we, you know, are you going over here? Can we jump on your boat and you know, can you give us a ride? You know, we we'll pay you a little bit. I don't know. This is just ideas I have. But I don't think Dr. Luke was there. And I love the idea of Dr. Luke not being in the upper room or possibly not being in the upper room because there was a medical need for Eutychus. A medical need for Eutychus. But he was healed with non-human hands. The Lord stepped in. The Lord responded. And I don't say that to, you know, speak negatively about the medical community. There's certainly a need for the medical community. But don't forget the Lord. When you have a medical need, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the Lord. Pray. You know, pray. And so look what happens here in verse 13. Dr. Luke is writing in the first person. Now, Dr. Luke, you hear me say like, what do you mean Dr. Luke? Dr. Luke or Luke was a doctor. He was a, a disciple. He wrote one of the Gospels. And he was a doctor. And uh, when I say Dr. Luke, that's why I say it, because he was a doctor. But he also wrote the book of Acts. And so here in verse 13, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. When you look at a map, like a geographical map, and you see Tro from Troas to Assos, it's very mountainous. And so it might be easier. You'd think you'd look at it and you'd be like, okay, it's easier to take the ocean. And so, you know, but look what happens here. Then they're, they're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. You see, Paul wants to go on foot. Go on foot. So he tells the guys, you guys go ahead on a boat. I'm going to walk. I'll meet you. I'll meet you at Assos. Me personally, this is just me personally. This is just, I, it's not captured in Scripture. 
But me personally, I believe, and nothing can really change my mind about this, but I believe Paul enjoyed his solitude because his solitude wasn't really solitude. It was his intimacy with the Lord. I believe that Paul enjoyed his solitude, his intimacy, his, you know, mountain moment to be one with the Lord on the mountain, just like Moses. Intimacy with the Lord. I think, you know, Paul's like, you know, you guys, I love you guys, but you guys go, I'm going to, I need my intimacy with the Lord. I'm going to go on foot. I'm going to walk. Because if you're ever in a situation where you, like, solitude is a beautiful thing, you know? I'm kind of a loner, you know? They used to talk to people like, yeah, I don't have any friends and nobody likes me, all these things. And I'm like, you know, what's the problem? You know? But it's so cool. You know, I'm kind of a loner. You know, not, I don't know, you can call me a nerd, but I'm kind of a loner. You know, not in a bad sense, but it's, I, I just... It's prayer time, you know. I want to be with the Lord. I want to be in His Word. I want to be like pray and talk to Him, and like I love it. It's so be- like there's nothing better. But then at the same time, the Lord's gonna say, "Okay, now you know, get down from the mountain and go do this." He does it with everybody. He'll do it with you. Maybe He's done it with you. Praise be unto the Lord. But you know what's interesting about Paul? We have we've seen his exploits unto the Lord, being used of the Lord. You know, how he was used as a vessel, how he's been used as a vessel. And in some cases, you know, taking blows for it too, being left for dead. And you see him, you don't, you don't really see how the spirit is ministering to him. Except here, look at verse 22 and 23. Paul says, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that, Chains and tribulations await me. Shackles and affliction awaits me. That's how the Holy Spirit has been ministering to him. He's like, wow, how's, how's that ministry? Shackles and chains and affliction await you? You call that ministry? That's how the Holy Spirit was you know, speaking to Paul. All this time, you look at Paul in, in Ephesus, Paul in Thessalonica, Paul in Berea. You see all these things. And the whole time, the Holy Spirit has been touching on his heart. Chains and tribulations await you, Paul. So me personally, I think in Paul's walk from Troas to Assos, he was praying unto the Lord. Oneness, intimacy with the Lord. Walking alone with carnal eyes, spiritually speaking, not alone. Being comforted by the Lord. Being comforted by the Lord. That's me personally. I don't need to debate that with anybody because it's not it's not really a debatable issue. I mean, you can say, well, it's not written, but that's just me personally. But it's so beautiful to see, especially, you know, what we're going to study, Lord willing, and in the coming weeks, these exhortations that Paul has. And you see a hardcore in the exhortation that Paul has in future letters to churches. And so he says here in verse 14, And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. So it's like, you know, it's south by the water. It's, it's north, north, uh, northwest of Israel. And you go, you know, towards uh, uh, Greece, but, you know, don't cross, don't cross the, that body of water. So you're still on Asia Minor. We sailed there, and the next day came opposite Chios, the following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at uh, uh, Trogilium, uh, Trogilium. The next day, 
we came to Miletus. Miletus. So they did some island hopping. Island hopping. You see, it's so beautiful how the Lord is teaching us. And it came to Miletus. It says, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost, the 50th day after Passover. The 50th day after Passover. You see, you see these journeys. And next week, we're going to end our study here. Next week, we'll pick up here in verse 17, Lord willing. God bless you guys. Love you.